On Friday, June 4th, 2004, Marvin Hemeyer jumped into the cabin of his bulldozer and lowered his expertly crafted armor onto the machine. This was it. Once it was sealed, there was no going back, no getting out of the machine. Marvin started the engine and set out on a two-hour and 17-minute rampage that terrorized the town of Granby, Colorado. Marvin himself said that sometimes reasonable men had to do unreasonable things. But what could push a man to this extreme? Listen in to today's episode to find out. I'm Colby. I'm joined by my two best friends, Laura and Marina, and this is Grim. Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Oh, boy. (laughs) This one sounds like it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit different, but can I just tell you guys how excited I am to share this story? So, fun fact, and this has nothing to do with the episode, really, but I first heard of this case um, watching an episode of American Dad. (laughs) There is, Yeah, that's where all true crime comes from. (laughs) Um, So there is an episode where the B-plot is Stan and Francine taking a kill dozer on a rampage to the bazooka sharks headquarters because they're upset with a response they got back from the team so i watched this it's a very funny episode and at the end of it i'm like ha 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 american dad is so crazy they'll just think of anything these days but guys it really happened like this is real life so i have a stranger than fiction true story to share with everybody today oh boy i mean how could it not be good without with the title like kill dozer i mean yes I watched a documentary called Tread, which was was on Netflix, will not be by the time this oh, episode airs. That's a bummer. Um, but I did do a little bit of digging to see where our gremlins could listen, and it is available on YouTube. You do have to buy or rent mm. it, although renting it, I think it was like three or four bucks, so it's really not that bad. Um, but you may be able to find it for free on Tubi, or I believe Vudu is the other location mm. that you could stream it. Mm. Um, but if after listening to our episode today, you want to see some of the footage, because there is actually a lot of footage from like the news station that was recording a lot of this while it was happening it is very fascinating i also listened to a series of tape recordings that marvin himself left behind but oh. we're going to talk about those a bit later in the episode were they the ramblings of a madman they were the ramblings of a man i don't know how <laughs> mad we'll let we will let everybody decide for oh, themselves how okay. mad they think marvin is after i kind of lay out what happened okay Ooh. And of course, I read the usual handful of articles from different Mm. sources, but I thought that the documentary tread and the tapes were worth shouting Mm. out because it's really where the bulk of the information comes from. I I was going to comment on the name of the documentary. Tread? Yeah. I just feel like someone could accidentally watch that and be like, oh, I think I want to watch something about running. (laughs) 
<laughs> I could see that. It just, you know, you'd be in for a surprise, I think. <laughs> I want to say they named it Tread because, and, and we'll talk about this whole mm-hmm. story, but because the tracks that mm-hmm. the dozer left were so present and they mm. stayed in the town, you know, for some oh, amount of no. time after. So it was like oh. a constant reminder. So I thought, I think they were trying yeah. to be like witty with a name like that. That makes sense. So I thought a lot about how to best tell this story because there's a lot of different characters. There's the dispute that kind of leads to the event. Mm. There's the event. So I think what I want to do is I want to give you guys a little bit of background information on Marvin so you get to know him. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about Granby, Colorado, where everything happened just to kind of set the scene. And then we'll get into some of the disputes and then Marvin's subsequent response. Sound good? Marina's taking notes on how to learn about somewhere other than Connecticut. I am. Also, I would like to move to Colorado very much. Me too. So. It is beautiful. So pretty out there. Not this particular place. Grim. It is, it is well, actually now, very pretty. Now it's fine. Now it's fine. It Grim, is, yes. Oh, you're going to tell us what year. Sorry. Grim relocation to Colorado? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Let's do it. You get your episodes earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here we go. So who was Marvin Hemeyer? So Marvin John Hemeyer was born on October 28th, 1951 in Castlewood, South Dakota, which is a super small town in northeastern section of the state with a population that is under 700 people in the current day. So I can only Mm. imagine how few people lived there in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Marvin served in the United States Air Force and he was stationed in Colorado. After getting out of the Air Force, he wanted to take some time for himself and just relax because, you know, he had earned it. He put in a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. So he planned to stay in Colorado for an additional six months before returning back home to South Dakota. He just kind of ended up staying in Colorado. He bought a house in Grand Lake in 1991. The price was really good. The view was really nice. And he just thought it was an opportunity too good to pass up. So Marvin, or Marv, as his friends called him, was also an expert welder who had a knack for working on engines and motors. He had a reputation for being the best welder around. He made his money through various muffler shops. He owned and operated across the state of Colorado. He had locations in Denver and Boulder. Um, which were about two hours from where he lived in Grand Lake. He wasn't really a rich man, per se, but he did very well for himself with all of the shops. Um, Marvin liked to say he had a champagne income with a beer taste, and that really helped him in life. Wow. I would know nothing about that. Nope. (laughs) Yeah, the opposite. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. He was never married. He never had any kids, but he did have a long-term girlfriend, Trisha McDonald. Um, Marvin and Trisha met at a saloon in Colorado, so they met IRL. She said he was an old school gentleman who was absolutely wonderful to her. She said that Marv was larger than life. He was confident and he was so handsome, or at least she thought so. Uh, She said she felt very safe with him and that the two of them never had a dull moment together. They would go snowmobiling and adventuring together and they dated for almost a decade. Sounds pretty idyllic. Yes, and Hmm. speaking of snowmobiling, He loved, loved, loved snowmobiling. He actually had a crew of guys that he would go snowmobiling with called the Thursday Crew. Because, you guessed it, on Thursdays they wear pink. Just kidding. (laughs) On Thursdays they went snowmobiling. Um, Side note, I know it's Wednesdays where they wear pink, but I really wanted to make the joke. I like it. it. People that I know that snowmobile, I I don't think that there is people that just intermittently snowmobile like you are either a snowmobiler yes. or you are not like they do it every chance they get or you yes. just are not a snowmobiler yep he loved it it was like a way of life for him mm. he um on any given thursday there could be 20 plus crew members between the ages of 16 and 50 men women they geared up and they were ready to hit the trails mm. and marvin was almost like their pack leader 
So you knew you were really one of the gang when Marvin created something custom for your snowmobile, most likely a custom bumper. Um, I had read that he made bumpers that were capable of like cutting down small trees so you could kind of just huh. keep going and nothing would impede your forward progress. That's awesome. A little foreshadowing? No, no, no. Nothing bad. Just, okay. you know, just really crafty mm. guy. Uh, he made other things with his welding skills. So he would make dryers for your gloves because sometimes your gloves get wet while mm-hmm. you're snowmobiling. And he also made grills so they could cook while they were out on their adventures. So he definitely used his crafts for fun and for professional use. So he's a very talented guy. Uh, Is he aware that there are things called stores where you can actually purchase all of these items for far less effort? (laughs) I think so. But I think when you live in a small town, maybe you have to be resourceful. This was, you said the 50s, right? Uh, Well, he was born in the 50s. Our events are going to take place in the early 2000s, but we'll talk about Granby, Colorado. It's another very small town. Okay. All right. Laura, you can go to the store and buy (laughs) scarves, right? But it's more meaningful when you make them for someone, right? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I don't kill people, though. Touche. Well, that's different. (laughs) Uh, We will see. I don't know if Marvin kills people either. Yeah, we don't know, Laura. Well, I'm sorry, Killdozer. (laughs) I was just making an educated guess. You know what happens when you assume. (laughs) All right, so we'll bring us back. So from all of my research, it feels to me like Marvin was a happy, laid-back kind of guy, at least up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. Uh, He seemed to enjoy to keep to himself, but he was happy to make his customers happy, and he was a very loyal and devoted friend, and he really loved doing activities he was passionate about. He seemed like he was really strong in his beliefs and he did not like to be told what to do. But hey, who does? Mm -hmm. Not this girl. (laughs) So Granby, Colorado. Now let me set the stage of our events. Granby is a small Colorado mountain town that's located just outside Rocky Mountain National Park. Mm -hmm. It was founded at the beginning of the past century as a railhead for the Moffett Railroad, which I didn't know that term. So basically it just means it's a point on the railway where loads are transferred between trains. Uh, So not surprisingly, the town thrived as a commercial center for ranchers, farmers, and small business owners. It's not exactly what you would call a resort town, but being surrounded by the mountains makes for some pretty spectacular views and plenty of outdoor activities. So there is some tourism industry, but think less Aspen and Vail and more quiet slash peaceful retreat in a mountain town. That sounds wonderful. It does. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Granby is definitely a bit more of what I would consider to be a blue collar town. The big businesses there were concrete plants, excavation shops, waste management companies, and a couple banks for good measure. Back in 2004, the town population was approximately 1,500. Even in the current day, it's still a super small town with approximately 2,000 residents. That's so small. I think my high Very school tiny. was. I think that was my high school. Yeah. 2,000. I was I grew up in a town of 10,000 and I thought that was pretty small. <laughs> so yeah. this is this is a super small town and being so everybody is all up in each other's business which we're going to see as a bit of a problem for Marvin mm. here. So now that you know a little bit about Marvin and the town of Granby, let's talk about what could have possibly happened to make Marvin react the way that he did. We're going to go on a bit of a journey here and it's going to take us through the better part of a decade, so I'm going to try to frame everything up from like a chronological standpoint. Okay? So our story really starts back in the year 1992, when a friend of Marvin's from Boulder, I think he said his name was John Kleiner, was interested in buying some land in Granby, which was the next town over from where Marvin lived. He had heard that there was going to be an FDIC auction and asked Marvin to go check it out for him. So Marvin, being a good friend, went to the auction. One of the properties for auction that day had a 3,000 square foot building on two acres of land. 
seemed like the perfect location for his friend's business, which again, I, it was kind of hard to tell because mm. I got this from the tapes, but I believe it was an auto body shop he was trying to open. So seemed like the perfect plot. The starting bid for the property was $35,000, which was well under the 66,000 that Marvin had gotten from his friend to make the purchase. So Marvin, of course, begins bidding, and he has no way of knowing that the original bid actually came from the former odor, owner of the property named Cody Docheff. So Cody was hoping to win back his land to expand his concrete business. Can I ask a question? Yes. <clears throat> FDIC auction, like a foreclosure? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yep. FDIC as in like the banks. Okay. Yeah, so this was a property um, that had been foreclosed upon for non-payment. and. Cody actually was at the auction that day with a friend of his who had agreed to loan him up to $50,000 so he oh. could purchase his property back. I should don't know. Should have gotten it before. Should have gotten it before. <laughs> so I didn't, I don't know the details of like the deal he and right. his pal had worked out, but his friend Gus Harris was there for that purpose. So Marvin, of course, is oblivious to all of this because he doesn't know Cody and Gus. But after some back and forth, Marvin bids $50,000. And to his surprise, he won the auction with that bid. As a side note, the dollar amount varies depending on the source. So in the tapes that Marvin recorded, he says $50,000 in the documentary. I read somewhere between, or I heard somewhere between 40 and 44, and I've read articles that said 42. So I'm just going to go with the man himself. He says 50, <laughs> so we're just going to say 50, but it was between 40 and $50,000. So Marvin says that on his way out of the auction, he was accosted by a very sour Cody. Marvin's actual first impression of Cody, and I quote, was, this guy is just a fucking asshole. But he, Marvin, didn't want any trouble. He knew it was a small town, and he didn't want any lingering drama or whispering neighbors. So he said he offered Cody the property for $66,000, since that's what he was expecting to pay. Obviously, this is way over Cody's budget, so Cody had to walk away, and Marvin got to keep the property. But from Marvin's perspective, you know, he did his part. This guy didn't bring his money, enough money there to get the property back. He tried. Marvin got it fair and square. For what it's worth, both Cody and Gus denied that any kind of conversation or altercation occurred. They both said they don't recall interacting with Marvin at all on the day huh. of the auction. Hmm. For some reason... Marvin's buddy ended up backing out of the deal, leaving Marvin to figure out what to do with this property. Marvin thinks it might have had something to do with the fact that there was some cleanup of the land, but he couldn't really find a concrete reason. And I wrote, haha, concrete. I was <laughs> <laughs> yes. Love it. Um, Marvin decided he was going to clean up the plot himself while he figured out what his next move was going to be. Eventually, he decides to open another muffler shop at this location. His other shops had done really well, so he was hopeful a shop in Granby would be equally as profitable. To supplement his income from the muffler shop, Marv would actually lease out storage space for people oh. to keep their boats in over the winter. Smart. I was going to say, it seems like a good property for him, even, because yeah. he yep. does all the mechanics stuff. And it's much closer to where he lives oh. in Grand Lake than his others. So he lived about two, two and a half hours away from Boulder. Oh. Um, yeah. So this was like a 20-minute commute rather than a two-hour commute if he was trying to go to one of the shops. Hmm. So, every, every time you call him Marv, I think of the Sticky Bandits from Home Alone. <laughs> that's, when you say Marv, like that's, so I'm picturing him as yep. one of those two characters. And when I say Marvin, I think of Marvin the Martian. Yes. So I'm okay. trying really hard not to think of that, but I wasn't his friend, right? I didn't know him, so I probably shouldn't call him Marv, but it's so mm -hmm. hard because it's just such like a comfortable, mm -hmm. like, Marv. Marv. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean any disrespect by being casual. I just like to think he would have let me call him Marv. I think so. <laughs> All right. So, by the summer of 1992, the town tells Marvin that he needs to hook up to the water and sewer mains. 
Marvin is initially in favor of this until he realizes that the town expects him to pay for it. We're not talking about a couple thousand dollars mm-hmm. here. We're talking about sixty to eighty thousand dollars. Seems like a lot, but it was so expensive because the closest sewer main was approximately four hundred feet away. Mm-hmm. So the service line from the main to his property had to be built out to run that yep. length. So not a cheap job. Marvin is understandably very upset about this he doesn't like that the town was forcing him to not only do something he didn't want to do but now they're also asking him to pay for it Mm -hmm. marvin just decided he wasn't going to do it and you know what the town kind of seemed to drop the issue too or at Mm. least they didn't revisit it for several years Hmm. interesting yes that is interesting keep keep that factoid in the back of your mind there so we'll fast forward to the mid 90s Marvin is running his muffler repair business and everything seems to be going pretty well for him. He's working an average of three days a week at his shop and his rental income is booming. He definitely was a work to live rather than live to work kind of guy. So that's exactly what he was doing. One day uh, in 1996 or 1997, Marvin saw Gus Harris outside on a neighboring property. Remember, Gus is the friend from the auction. Mm -hmm. So Marvin wanted to be neighborly and he wanted to see if Gus had any hard feelings held over from the auction altercation. So He went over to say hi to Gus, and it did not seem like Gus had any hard feelings because he offered to sell Marvin the land right then and there on the spot. He told Marvin if he paid him $17,500, the land was all his. I believe it was another two-acre plot, so it essentially would have doubled the land that Marvin had. Marvin was concerned and not wanting to spread himself too thin, so he actually passed on the opportunity at the time. About a year later, Marvin's businesses were still doing really well. He had been in the area a bit longer and he thought he could handle an additional commitment. So he reached back out to Gus to see if the offer still stood. But the land was already sold to somebody else. Cody Dochow. I was gonna Mm. say it, yep, yep. Okay, Okay. so you see where we're going Uh here. In 1999, the town of Granby spot zoned the two acres of land directly south of Marvin's shop. So I had to look up what this was because mm. my brain wouldn't just accept that it was a term it needs to understand city planning and zoning. <laughs> so it seems like it basically means that the land was reclassified for a purpose other than what it was initially intended to do. That makes sense. Well, it doesn't make sense why they did it, but your but explanation, yes, the makes, explanation sense. makes sense. Yeah. So it was intended for purpose A, they rezoned it, now it's intended for purpose B, which happens to include like a broader spectrum of things that are allowed on the property. Yep. Because I feel I feel like I'm much more familiar with zoning because of my husband's yes. career. But for those not familiar, like you can't just like build a business in a residential area or vice versa because there are all these rules yep. and all this stuff. So that is why that's important. Yep. So Marvin is upset about this when he finds out about it. He actually says that this spot zoning is illegal in Colorado, but because nobody protested it within 30 days, it became the law. So the town was technically within their rights to do this. Huh. Did they put the little sign out on the property that says, oh, yeah, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Come to this meeting and yell at us. Is if that you... what all the alcohol yeah. permit type things probably. are for? Oh, mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. Like you have to announce what mm-hmm. you're doing for this reason. Probably gotcha, to go yeah. to the town meetings. Yep. OK. Oh, so much learning. I know. <laughs> it's almost like we want to teach you something. <laughs> Marvin quickly learns that Cody Docheff is trying to buy the property, the one that's been spot zoned and actually has a a contract to put a concrete batch plant there which side note this is why the property had to be rezoned to be eligible for a concrete plant to go there Uh, hmm. so 
I am going to be the first one to admit, because I'm sure there's people that are going to be familiar with this case. I did get a little bit confused between all the sources. There's actually two parcels of land around Marv's shop. So there's one to the west and one to the south. The piece that's being rezoned is the one that is directly to the south of him. Mm -hmm. I believe that the parcel that Gus sold Cody was the piece of land to the west and not the same one that was rezoned. So I think when all is said and done, I believe that Cody owns surrounding property around Marv. Uh, But I just wanted to call out that I'm not 100% confident in case anybody listening is like, no, that's not true. I looked up the records. Yes, exactly. In which case, hey, let us know. Let us know. We will issue a correction. At Grim Crime Podcast. (laughs) Marvin is less than thrilled with learning that Cody is trying to buy the property and wants to put a concrete plant there. And you know what? He's a little surprised that more people in the surrounding area aren't feeling the same as him. Marvin makes it his mission to educate his neighbors on the downfalls of allowing this to happen. There would be lots of dust, noise, and excess traffic that wasn't there before. Not only that, but have they thought about what it's going to do to the town's water supply? What about the property values of the neighbors around the plant? What's it going to do? So some of the town actually rallies around Marvin. They thought he raised really excellent points, as do I. I feel Marvin raised pretty good points there. And what they ended up doing was there was a series of town meetings, right? So I'll say town council meetings. Mm -hmm. And they basically went back and forth where points were heard in favor of and in opposition of the concrete plant. For each concern that was raised, Cody would come up with a plan to mitigate the risk or diffuse people's concerns. He was being very agreeable and understanding. After a handful of these meetings, almost everybody had switched from Marvin's side to Cody's side. Marvin was feeling very betrayed, and he vowed not to stop fighting the good fight. Meanwhile, the town has now gone back to hounding Marvin about hooking up to city sewer and the water line, because remember, he still hasn't done that. Mm -hmm. Can I I ask a question? Was Marvin genuinely against it? Like, did he believe all of his points, or was it more just about being against Cody? He did believe all of his points. Mm -hmm. He genuinely thought that the concrete plant was going to be very bad for the town. There was some other location to the north of where they lived where Cody also had property, and Marvin thought that Cody should put the plant there because Mm -hmm. it wasn't in an area that was as densely populated Mm -hmm. as where he was. That's fair. So... I think a little bit of it was that it was Cody, but the rest of it, it genuinely, he didn't want the plant Mm. there. Okay. A judge actually finds Marvin in violation of a town ordinance and informs him that he may not use the property until it is properly hooked up to water and sewer. As just kind of a side note, he's not trying to be a gross guy. There is water. There's a well on the property. There is a septic tank. So it's not that he's totally roughing it. It's just that the town really wants him to hook up to their system rather than just using the things that are on the property. That's Hmm. so annoying that they couldn't grant him an exception because he's not using it as like housing. Right. Right. And for the cost that it's going to be to hook him up to that, like who cares? Exactly. And it's not like a restaurant. Like, right, right. So very expensive. Yeah. So I think Marvin's point is it should be kind of good enough as it is. Yeah. Like, can they make an exception? Right. Kind of like we're saying, like, why mm. should this poor guy have to spend sixty to eighty thousand dollars? Like, he doesn't have that money laying around. Right. They well, can yes. rezone property around him, but they can't grant him an right. Exce- right. exception to that yep. zoning requirement. So if you remember from earlier, I had mentioned that Marv would have to run the service line to the main. Well, there was an added complication now. Somebody had bought the property, oh. remember, between the muffler shop and the, the main line, and that somebody was none other than Cody Docheff. So now Marvin needs to get an easement from Cody, who is not just going to give the man who's been protesting his business mm. what he wants. 
Again, I had no idea what an easement was, so I had to look it up. It essentially grants one person the ability to use somebody else's land. And a lot of the examples I found when I Googled it were of people's driveways cutting through their neighbor's mm-hmm. property. So it's technically your neighbor's land, but you are granted an easement to put mm-hmm. your driveway there so you can access your house. I'm having property law flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> there are also, like, if you look up property records, like uh, cable companies will have yes. easements because mm-hmm. they're running across your yep. property. Yeah, or they can dig up your front lawn like they did on mine and leave it all mud and gross. Sorry, bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you really feel about that. You're not mad about that, are you? Not at all. Nope. The town is telling Marvin that he has to pay them $100 a day for each day that he does not hook up to the water and sewer main. That is aggressive. It's a lot. Marvin is like, you know what, I'm going to just pay this fine and be done with it for right now. So he writes them a check. And I thought this was peak petty. He made the checkout to them. And in the memo line, he wrote to the cowards, cowards and liars department. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Which is totally something I would do. So that's yeah. why I'm laughing at this. So he puts this in the line. But the joke ends up being on Marvin because he made the checkout for the wrong amount. And not only was it the wrong amount, but he wrote it incorrectly. You know how on a check mm-hmm. you have to write out the full dollar amount. He did not write it out the proper <laughs> way. So they sent the check back to him. Oh, um, I am pretty sure that he was livid when he got it back because, mm. you know, he's like, I try to pay him and they send it back to me. And, you know, so Marvin goes back to the town hall with the new check. And what I imagine were some very choice words for who was there to receive it. Yeah. Yep. Did he prepay all the days that he planned to violate it? Do you know what the check was for? Like what the amount was um, for? I believe the amount was for twenty five hundred dollars. He originally wrote it for something closer to thirty three hundred yeah. and that was not correct. So I, I uh, don't know. I think he may have been trying to either back pay too far or like prepay, pre-pay. days in advance. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm never doing this, so you want you want your twenty five your monthly check. Yeah, here's a year. <laughs> Get it now. So at some point while this is all going on, Marvin notices that the Dochefs actually appear to have started construction on the plant, but it's not approved by the town yet. Marvin files a lawsuit either against the Dochefs or the town. It wasn't really clear to me who they would who he would have filed against, um, but it's to prevent the Dochefs from moving forward with the construction. And for a while, it does actually halt their progress. While this is happening, the Dochefs actually decide that they're going to extend the olive branch to Marvin. They reach out and they say, "Look, if you drop the lawsuit, we will grant you the easement so you huh. can hook up to the sewer main." Not bad. Not bad, but I feel like at this point, Cody is basically Marvin's mortal enemy, Mm -hmm. so it's a hard pass for Marvin. He has no interest in doing anything peacefully with Cody. (laughs) But as a quick aside, had he actually accepted his offer, it wasn't going to cost him what he was quoted in 1992, because Cody had hooked his property up to the water and sewer main, so Marvin only had to build the distance between his and Cody's. Which was nowhere near as long. Right. I want to say I read it was like maybe 80 feet instead of 400. Oh, hmm. I was feeling for Marvin prior to that because it yes. seems very unfair mm-hmm. that he's being hounded about these unreasonable yep. requirements and Cody's just like doing his thing on his property yep. and everyone's leaving him alone. But now I'm like, bro, did you Too have far. to draw the line <laughs> yep. in the sand? Yep. Like, had you just like just take yep. the olive branch? I just took the olive branch. Mm-hmm. You're going to see there's a few other times where he could have just mm. taken the olive oh, branch no. and ran, but he he doesn't. He is a man who is very firm in his convictions. We, okay. we know someone yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nine months after filing that lawsuit, a judge dismissed it completely. At this point, Marvin has no legal recourse. He had totally lost the support of the town's mm-hmm. residents. 
and he is starting to feel like he is the only man who is sane on this planet that he is living on. So we see a theme, and you've both picked up on it very clearly. It is Marvin against the world right Mm. now. He is the sole voice of reason and decency, and the town is trying to silence him. He feels like the town, specifically the members of the town council or town board, I saw it used interchangeably, were out to get him. It was their mission to make him be unsuccessful, he thought, so he would leave the town. With Granby being such a small town, it was pretty much controlled by a single family, the Thompson family. Dick Thompson, the family patriarch, was the mayor of the town until his death in 2001. Two of his sons, Gary and Larry Thompson, which thought it was cute. They're, they're not twins. Did they marry Dina and Nina? No, they did not marry Dina. And have a child named Zena. <laughs> they ran the excavation company in town, and they were active in town affairs. I also saw them described as the two hardest working millionaires you would ever meet hmm. because their company was very successful, and they were right there on the front lines with their people. There was one other son named Ron Thompson, who was also on the town council, but he unfortunately had passed away as well. I didn't see what year, but it was prior to 2004, we'll say. The family's history in the town dated back for generations. Over the years, they had purchased a ton of property in Granby, and they made a lot of income from renting it out. To put it lightly, they definitely had some kind of influence here. Yeah. From what I gather, Marvin is feeling like the town is kind of picking and choosing which rules to enforce and when, and I can't say that I disagree with him here. No, I'm with him. They were on his back to connect to the town's water and sewer, and then they dropped it until somebody else was interested in the land. The town was being a real stickler, not letting Marvin conduct business until he jumps over his hurdle, but they're letting Cody start construction on the plant before it's approved, and they seem to be turning a blind eye. He says that the town blocked him from connecting to the main, but I don't think that that's true. I think he stopped himself because of the cost and then I think ultimately his pride. He says that all of the mitigation plans that Cody promised to set in motion to address the town's concerns about the plant were never completed and nobody ever followed up with Cody and they never took any kind of corrective action. That's where the movie Aaron Brockovich came from. Yeah, get him. (laughs) I believe that Marvin believed that the Thompsons were conspiring with the Dochefs to run Marvin out of town so that the Dochefs could purchase Marvin's land and move forward with the construction of the concrete plant. I can see where he would have gotten that. I'm pretty sure this would have brought jobs and money into the town, so I could definitely see why the town would be in favor of having the plant here. In addition to the town council members, Marvin felt like he was treated unfairly by the town's newspaper which I thought had a really cute name, Sky High News. (laughs) Love it. Yes. So he specifically took an issue with the publisher slash editor slash reporter, because small town, (laughs) Patrick Brower. Allegedly, when Marvin first opened his business in Granby, he said that Patrick offered to write an article on the muffler shop to help him promote it. But he said that Patrick never wrote the article. He refused to come down to the muffler shop, and Marvin felt like he was trying to prevent him from getting publicity for some reason. Patrick said, this is absolutely not true. And the moment he learned that Marv was upset with him, he offered to make it up to him by running an ad in the local paper. And he did. Hmm. I saw the ad. It was an ad that uh, Patrick said would normally have cost $200. And he said he didn't charge Marvin anything for the hmm. ad. That's so nice of him. He, he tried to mend the bridge, right? Marvin's other gripe with the paper was that the paper published several letters that Marvin had written, which were around supporting allowing uh, gambling in Granby, tongue twister. (laughs) But 
the paper had edited them before they they published it, and Marv really did not appreciate being edited. Huh. So not only are they trying to deny him promotion, but they are also twisting his words mm. from Marvin's perspective. I would I would probably feel the same if you didn't tell me you were going to edit it. You know. Yep. Exactly. I get it. I, I think that we can all appreciate being in a situation where we feel like it's us against the world, but I know for me, it's usually all about perspective. Um, and to me, it sounds like Marvin maybe could have used a voice of reason here. I was going to yeah. say, once you get into that mindset, it colors all of your interactions. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like the most benign situations just add to his rage. Yeah. Like if you have a bad roommate, they come in and you're like, oh my God, they're breathing. Right. Oh, right. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. So Marvin thinks that he probably should have just took it and shut up. (laughs) Maybe if he hadn't caused such a fuss, people in town would have left him alone. Maybe they would have let him slide under the radar. He said that the town council members, they would all kind of snicker at him as he passed by in town, and they were all fake good guys, in his Mm. opinion. So I just think that at this point, he's kind of resigned himself to the fact that like everybody in the town hates him. They're all out to get him. I don't know if I feel like it was personal against him, at least not how it started. It feels like it was political, like Mm -hmm. you're not abiding by these laws and other things. They let other stuff slide, but it was to the benefit of the town. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know that it was personal, per se, against Marvin. And it sounds like maybe Cody did have political connections and was sort of greasing the wheels. Mm -hmm. And they let Marvin slide until he started raising a stink. And then they were like, okay, listen, buddy, like stop. It kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Not surprisingly, the town eventually issues the building permit to Cody Docheff, so he does, in fact, build his concrete plant. We're going to fast forward now to the summer of 2002. I'm not making this up. Marvin was sitting in the hot tub at his house, weeping, and God came to him. He said he was overcome with an immense sense of calmness and peace, and he just immediately knew what he had to do. He didn't understand why God had chosen him for this task, but... Maybe it's why he was never married or had any children of his own. His purpose was to show the people of the town of Granby that their actions have consequences. I have goosebumps. You cannot punish a man and expect him to sit idly by. Because remember, Marvin thinks he's being punished here. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how prescriptive God was. Like, (laughs) I don't know if God told Marvin to purchase a bulldozer and outfit it with armor or if God was just kind of like, you need to punish people who do you wrong. Um, I think it could have just been based on the opportunities that presented themselves that Marvin went the path he did. But shortly after this kind of epiphany, he drove to an auction in California and he bought a Kumatsu D355A, which is a very large bulldozer. I was going to say my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I have one out back. I like the 55B. Oh, good call. It's just it's a large bulldozer. So we'll post a picture of the Kumatsu D355. Five five A before and after like modification. Stock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he had the bulldozer delivered back to Granby, and he positioned it outside the muffler shop, facing Cody Dochev's property, and he put a for sale sign on it. He on the bulldozer. Yes. Okay. He told people that the bulldozer was for a couple different things. He kind of had an inconsistent story. So he told one of his friends that he bought it solely to intimidate Cody. <laughs> so Cody would be worried that there was a dozer facing his property. It's ominous, right? I guess. <laughs> so he told his friend that. It sat there for almost a year. So I guess I could see that as like an intimidation tactic. 
Keep- I would see it as a big rusty lawn ornament. <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, that's one way to decorate your property. Do you? He told another person it was to help clear a new entrance to his shop because the construction of the plant was blocking his primary access point. Which to me, that sounds like a valid reason to buy yeah. a bulldozer. Yeah. Yes. Not for intimidation. I think it cost him like thirty thousand dollars at the auction. Hmm. Thirty thousand dollar lawn ornament. You probably should have just done the the water line and all that for yeah. that price. <laughs> There's also probably much cheaper means and more effective means of intimidation, like a sign. Yeah, than a yeah. thirty thousand dollar bulldozer, <laughs> like some spray paint or something. I feel like I would probably say from the moment that Marvin purchased the bulldozer, he was solely focused on getting it ready for his mission. I I think he just had this secret purpose in the back of his mind, and I think he was just good at thinking on his feet when people asked him what stuff was for. Totally. So anything he did between the time he purchased it and the day he carries out his rampage, I think it was just a means to get to the outcome. Yep. Marvin, in the interim here sees an opportunity to possibly sell his property to the Dochefs, right? So he's got an opportunity to cash out, make a clean break, go wherever the hell he wants, and leave Granby behind him. He tells Cody he would like to sell his land to him and the building, right? So the full enchilada here for $250,000. Six times what he bought it for, really mm. great return on investment. Good yep. for you, Marvin, right? Get out of Dodge. Does this include the bulldozer? No, it does not include okay. the bulldozer. All right. Cody agrees to the deal, and Marvin immediately backs out. <laughs> and like, gotcha. But <laughs> <laughs> shit. <laughs> he raises the price to $375,000. Cody agrees again what? to the what? deal. And again, Marvin backs out. Oh. Allegedly, Marvin told Cody $1 million, and you can have the property. That was not a price Cody was willing to pay uh, for this oh land. Oh my god! What he? I want to say he had it. He had it appraised multiple times, and I think at about this point in the early two thousands, I think it was appraised somewhere for three hundred and seventy five to four hundred thousand oh. dollars. So three seventy five okay. was pretty fair. A million? No, no, not so much. More fair. than I thought, though, because didn't he purchase it for like sixty? I mean, I know that was a foreclosure, but still, yeah. And I think, I don't know if part of the valuation of it was some of the other equipment that he had had in there, maybe some of the enhancements he did to like the structure on the premise, um, or if part of it was that he'd sell the business. But to Cody, Cody doesn't want the business. Cody wants the property. Right. Okay, but the tides are turning. Marvin's a dick. Yeah. He's being kind of dickish at this point. Yeah. He's a dick. He's a dick. (laughs) Certified. (laughs) TM. Yes. The two men clearly failed to work out something. So Marvin decides he's going to put his business and all of his assets, including the bulldozer, up for auction. A lot of the equipment that Marvin has sells. Want to guess what the two things were that didn't sell? The bulldozer and the property itself. Oh. To Marvin, this is a confirmation that God wants him to proceed with his plan. He said that this was when he knew he was not supposed to walk away from the situation. Because why else wouldn't these things have sold if there wasn't a divine purpose for them? Well, I mean, because you kept pulling out of the sales. (laughs) So I don't know that I would quantify that as divine intervention. But he does. Okay. He does. To each their own. Connecting the dots a bit here, I feel like Marvin is testing God to confirm that God really wants him to carry out his secret mission. If he puts the dozer for sale and someone buys it, then God must not really want him to do this. If he puts the business up for auction and it sells, then God doesn't want him to carry out the plan. Very logical. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Marvin's logic here, obviously, nobody was interested at the auction. <laughs> he couldn't work things out with Cody. Has to be a sign. Divine intervention. They wouldn't buy it for a billion dollars. <laughs> it must be why. an intervention. <laughs> so sometime between the summer where he has the auction and the fall of 2003, Marvin ends his relationship with his girlfriend, Trisha. She said that she had quit smoking somewhat recently and Marvin came over and he caught her smoking a cigarette. And he just abruptly ended things with her right then and there. To her, it felt like he was looking for any old reason to end it. Yep. Look, I, I get it. People have really strong opinions on people who smoke and not wanting to be around it. But if you've been with somebody for almost a decade and you really love them, I don't think your first reaction is just to break up with them when they decide they need another cigarette. I, I feel like I kind of agree with her. I think he was looking uh, for yeah. a way out. Totally. Yeah. Cutting all his ties. Agree. Yes. I think he did not want Trisha there to stop him. So I think it was an act to push her away because she probably would have been a voice of reason because I, I saw her. They did an interview with her in the documentary and she seemed like a normal, very reasonable, personable type woman. Which he was, too. He was, yeah. When, you know, well, not a woman, but, um, <laughs> you know, he seemed very reasonable yes. before. For a time. Yes. So shortly after he breaks up with Trisha, he decides he's going to bring his bulldozer into the shop so he can begin working on the enhancements. The bulldozer just barely fit through the shop door. There was one inch of clearance on each side. Something that Marvin considered yet another sign from God. There were so many bulldozers for auction the day he bought this one. Why didn't he buy one of the other ones that wouldn't have fit inside the building? I wish I had this level of reasoning. <laughs> I feel like I'd have a lot more self-confidence if I had this level of reasoning. Yep. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the enhancements to the bulldozer shortly, but I want to just finish out the chain of events prior to the rampage first. In the fall of 2003... A man named Travis Bussey leased Marvin's land to use as staging for his trucks. Travis ran a trash business. Travis must have seen some long-term potential in the property. I think he wanted to use the building for additional staging. Uh, so he actually offered to buy the property from Marvin. In late November of 2003, Marvin sold Travis the property for $400,000. He rents the building back from Travis, though, so he can continue working on his dozer. With $400,000 in his pocket. $400,000 richer, yep. So I think they had like a six-month rental agreement. He was supposed to be out of there at the six-month mark. When, uh, like anytime you buy a property, right, you come out and you do an inspection. So when the inspector goes out to inspect the property, they see a very large covered item inside. And the inspector is like, hey, what do you got under here, Marvin? <laughs> And Marvin, quick on his feet, says he tells them he's working with a professor at some university to perfect the cooling system to increase the performance of the bulldozer's engine. And he just hadn't been able to coordinate the return of the dozer to this professor. Creative. Chef's kiss, right? Yeah. Like for the best excuse ever. So the inspector was like, oh, that's really cool. But that's it. He didn't lift up the tarp yeah. and look at it. So again... Marvin says, I wasn't supposed to get caught. He was there. He did the inspection. He should have just lifted it. And how would I explain it if anybody ever looked at it? But, but even if somebody looked at it, you would never foreshadow. Now, I don't know exactly what he did with it, but I would assume that no one would foreshadow what he did with it. They'd I would be like, think so. 
what is this? And he'd be like, I don't know. I'm just kind of playing with metal on this giant bulldozer. And yeah. people would be like, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Do your thing. Whatever. Not his logic, though. People it's just do- it's another sign supporting the path he has set out on. Okay. It's a very so- creative lie, but I feel like it just yeah. didn't need to be yeah. that creative. <laughs> no, I don't think it had to be that creative. So with the sale to Travis finalized, Marvin knows he has to be careful not to raise any suspicion what he's doing inside the former shop because Travis's employees are all around the premises during the day. So Marvin, the ever crafty man, has security cameras up there and he just watches Travis's employees to get to know their habits when they come in, when they leave. So what he learns is not a huge surprise to any of us. There's more activity during the day than at night on the property. Genius. So what Marvin decides to do is to adjust his sleep schedule and he sleeps all day. He works all night. So there's nobody around while he's working on the bulldozer. Why did he do this? That, that's like, what I was just saying. Why say. did he sell the property he, so that he had to work around the people in it when I he already know. owned it and he could have worked on it whenever he wanted to? He must have needed the money for all the parts and everything to continue building the bulldozer. Because he, I mean, he was doing okay, but he probably didn't have that much. I mean, he had money coming in, but 400 grand, you can do a lot of enhancements. You can do a lot of enhancements with $400,000. But you're right. He could have just left. He could have taken the four hundred thousand dollars, yeah. and he could have left. That's a a great cash out option. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or just like not have sold it. I mean, if he needed the money for yeah. the enhancements, fine. But I'm just thinking like he's he did it, and he just made it harder on himself. It's like if I could sneak around and get this done, like God <laughs> wanted me to do it. Was is, was he just trying to add to his? I think it's another test. Maybe like mm. if he does it when there are people around. But I don't oh. know bizarre i think we're past logic at this point yeah i'm yeah i'm trying to make sense out of nonsense Mm. so yeah it's not gonna work out for me marvin's actually living inside of the former shop working on the bulldozer he gave away his home so he had nowhere else to go he had created living slash sleeping quarters but he did reserve the majority of the space to carry out his work for his sleeping and living quarters he had all the modern amenities a sleeping bag a heater hot plates to cook on and of course lots of water he he did have a television and some movies for entertainment i thought this was incredibly enlightening and this is my only grim fact of the episode today (laughs) one of his most watched movies was a vin diesel movie called a man apart this was so long ago that vin diesel had hair i don't remember a time in my life when vin diesel had hair no i didn't know that he ever had hair he did you know he's a twin though right i did not there's another diesel there is another diesel. Ooh, that's twin diesel. A second grim fact, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I've seen a man apart, so I looked up the plot of the movie, and I think it's very telling of his mentality at the time. Vin Diesel's character loses his wife to gang violence, and he decides to take the law into his own hands. Ah. He goes after the bad guys, eliminates them, and has seemingly redeemed and purged a corrupt society in doing so. Huh. Uh-huh. Sounds a lot like what somebody else is thinking of doing. Mm. So back to the workshop here. The workshop was equipped with all of the tools he needed to outfit his dozer with a homemade suit of armor. He had built the large lift, the thing that was covered by the tarp previously with a dozer. So he built this lift in there to be able to help him with his construction. He needed to be able to hold up really large steel plates and to be able to weld them together and then pour concrete in between the plates. So this is reinforced, and this is when I'm going to have us pause temporarily so I can show you a picture of this, and then our gremlins will put it on our Instagram for you. 
That's aggressive. Yes. Yep. It's really aggressive. It, it looks like a tank. It's very armored. It looks like a tank. Yeah. That's above and beyond what good, I was imagining. Good thing he was next to a concrete plant, though. <laughs> I don't believe that he bought any of his materials from Cody. <laughs> oh, it's too bad. He could have supported a local. I don't local think business. he shops locally. <laughs> I think he wanted to do the opposite of that with this town. <laughs> so. I'm gonna ship in concrete. <laughs> I don't care what it costs me. That's why he had to sell. Cody. That's why he had to sell. Oh, yeah, that's why yeah, because okay. he had to all pay right. for the very expensive outsourced concrete. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> so for a while, Marvin is just very laser focused on his work. But again, God, God comes to him. God wants Marvin to have some fun and to go snowmobiling. So that is what Marvin did in the winter of 2003 to 2004. He went snowmobiling to his heart's content. He thought that maybe something else would come up to change his mind or show him that he had done enough to prove to God that he had, you know, been, she, she, he should be considered complete with his work. But as we know, and anybody that doesn't know, we'll soon find out, that's not how this is going to play out. In March of 2004, Marvin's father unfortunately passes away. Marvin went back home to South Dakota to pay his respects to his father and visit his childhood home for one last time. I believe he was also trying to like help pack things up to be able to sell the the property. I don't think that I mentioned this earlier, but Marvin had actually given his father all of the proceeds from the property and belongings that he had sold. His father, in turn, had left the money to Marvin's two brothers. So I believe that this was Marvin's way of making sure that after he carried out his mission, it would be impossible for the town to go after the money since it's so far removed from Marvin at that point in time. So he's, it was actually quite brilliant what yeah. he did. I, I had read that he transferred it in $50,000 increments over to his father until his father had all of it. Interesting. Hmm. When Marvin returned to Colorado, he gave away his most prized possession, his snowmobile. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is going to bring us to June 4th, 2004. What started out as a quiet late spring day would end up being anything but that. Marvin climbed into the cabin and lowered the armor onto the dozer. With the armor now secured to the bulldozer, it could no longer fit through the shop doors. I was wondering. I don't yep. know why it wasn't a sign to not drive it out. Yeah, really. It fit through the shop doors, but... Positive only, signs only. <laughs> the only way out was through. So he started oh. up the engine and burst through the walls of his former business. Naturally. Yeah. Not going to lie, that'd be pretty fun. That part. <laughs> Just that part. Just this one part. Yeah. Again, we will post pictures of the dozer on our Instagram, but just imagine this behemoth of it. Calling it a bulldozer at this point in time actually doesn't give it no. the justice that it deserves. It really is a tank yeah. at this point in time. A tank dozer. A tank. And Marvin himself never would call it a killdozer. He actually refers to it as his MK tank. So he sees it as a tank, what he's okay. constructing. The machine's physical presence loomed large, but it was also incredibly noisy. So it has a big diesel engine, and it's roaring as the thing is moving, and the tread is creaking as the machine rolls forward. So it, it's impossible to hide this because of its stature, but it's also impossible not to know that it's coming because the ground shakes when this thing moves. And it's slow, right? It is very slow. And heavy. Yeah. It weighs 85 tons. Oh, wow. The dozer. 
and I, I don't think I wrote this down and I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure I saw somebody say that is the equivalent to 90 double-decker buses. Oh like God. the buses you'd see in London. I was gonna say, was, was it a British person that said that? <laughs> Maybe I don't. I don't remember where I had seen it, but I did think that wow. was a fun fact, wow. and it kind of helped me wrap my head around what eighty-five tons would be. A lot is a lot. So this this dozer tank hybrid was certainly a sight to behold. It's probably the kind of thing that you would see and then do a double take because you literally would not be able to believe your eyes because who thinks that this would ever be a thing they'd encounter in real life? Yeah. Marvin's first stop on the tour of destruction. He doesn't have to go very far. Just to Cody's concrete plant right uh, across the street. Yep, yep. Marvin wastes no time plowing right into the building. Cody said he knew instantly that this was Marvin operating the dozer, but he actually thought that Marvin was doing it remotely, possibly from a nearby high point like a hill oh. or something like that. Yep, like rem- remote, remote control. Yep, okay. he thought it was yep. a remote control dozer. I, looking at it, there's no visible entry point into it, so I could see why somebody viewing it would think there's no way a human's inside. Yeah. And that's really what I meant when I said Marv like knew there was no way out because there was no exit that was built in. This was a suicide mission, 100%. Oof. Cody was not going to just sit around and watch Marvin destroy everything he had worked so hard to build. Cody took a handgun from one of his workers and actually fired a couple of shots off at the dozer zero effect uh-huh yeah i wouldn't think that, that would be fact, effective very worrying very worrying wouldn't it ricochet that's what i thought but shockingly it did not like come back directly at him so i'm guessing the trajectory yeah, the was angles. very fortunate for him <laughs> did someone else randomly die in granby colorado that day yeah. from a, an unknown gunshot wound nope, nope. <laughs> that was god that was god god did not want Div- that divine intervention next cody and some of his workers had a better idea in my opinion they tried to jam the tread by sticking a steel pole into it so the hope was that it would get so tangled up that it would just prevent the vehicle from moving forward yeah so they got a pole jammed it in there also had zero effect on the bulldozer wow Wow. then for some inexplicable reason cody decided he wanted to try to get on top of the bulldozer maybe to see if there was an entry point up there is the only thing i could think of he tried to climb up it, but he kept sliding off. He said it was like it was coated in grease or Vaseline. Probably was grease. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was because Marv didn't mention it, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he did that. Finally, somebody had the idea to stop it by lifting the, the tracks of the, the tank slash dozer. So Cody gets in the largest front end loader, which is just another piece of equipment, um, and he slams into the side of it. He kept trying to raise the dozer, but all he actually did was lift the back tires of his loader. Wow. Because the dozer weighs 85 tons. Wow. Cody, not willing to give up so easily, he backed up and rammed into the dozer again. This time, the force actually caused him to hit his head on the windshield glass, and it knocked him out cold. Oh, jeez. Marvin fired several rounds at Cody while he was on the loader unconscious. The sound of the shots are what actually woke Cody up. Somehow, all of the shots fired by Marvin hit the bucket of the loader, and Cody was totally untouched. Whoa. At this point, Cody sees what he's up against. I think he understands the depth of the situation, and he decides he's going to stop trying to intervene, and he's going to let the police just take over. Uh So the police notice that there are small portholes on the sides of the dozer, and they think, let's try to fire at them. What they don't know is that they are covered with two-inch thick protective material, so it doesn't matter as much as they want to fire at it. You, you can't get in through the portholes. Oh, my God. 
So because of the heavy armor on the dozer, Marvin actually couldn't see through the windshield like you normally would in any other vehicle. Instead, he had to rely on a series of cameras he outfitted the vehicle with. There were five cameras hooked up to three different monitors that allowed Marvin to view all sides of the vehicle and navigate where he was going. Remember, he's super crafty, right? He took it a step further. Marvin even rigged up a contraption to spray forced air on the cameras to keep them free of all of the debris he assumed he was going to have on the dozer during the attack. Oh my gosh. Wow. He thought of everything. Seriously. Almost everything. So on these cameras, Marvin at this point in time observes some cops hiding behind a row of jersey barriers and he fires off some shots at them. Nobody was hit. He could see this right through the cameras, so when it's not working, he decides he's just going to drive through the Jersey barriers. So the troopers narrowly avoid being crushed, but miraculously, all were completely fine. I'm glad, and that's just, I know this is only the beginning, but that's so insane. Did he have it fitted with guns, too? Yes. Okay, like big guns, or like... He had weapons of different caliber um, equipped on the vehicle. I want to say that there were three different portholes for the weapons. Okay. Probably not a twenty-two. Pro- probably something a little more aggressive. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> At this point, Marvin is pretty much finished demolishing the concrete plant, so he decides he's going to move on to a second target, which is Mountain Park Electric Company. I think the connection here is that one of the members of the town council worked there, but I'm not too sure. It was kind of a loose connection. While he's en route, one of the police officers decides he's going to try to jump on top of the dozer desperately looking for an entry point he actually managed to get on top of it but he saw nothing other than a small vent for what he believed was the air conditioning (laughs) gotta be comfortable (laughs) (laughs) he shot at it did no good he tried to throw a flashbang grenade into the vent but the smoke did not breach the cabin marvin had really done an excellent job sealing himself in there wow at this point the officer decides okay it's not working i'm just gonna get off of the dozer Um, And it's a good thing he did, because right as he jumped off, Marvin was hitting the front of the electric company building. He is tearing through the electric company, and when he's done with it, he turns his attention to the next target, which is Town Hall. But there is an interesting little factoid about this Town Hall building, and it's that the Town Hall building shares a building with the town's library. So the Town Hall is on the upper floor, and the library is on the lower floor. What Marvin is totally unaware of is on this particular day, the library is full of children. Oh my God. Full of children. So a reverse 911 call went out to the citizens of Granby to instruct them to evacuate the town. The call came in just in time to evacuate the children. They were out about two minutes before Marvin destroyed the town hall. Before oh. before you mentioned the children in the town hall, I was thinking we're laughing because it's it, it's such an absurd story. But I cannot imagine the panic yeah. and the terror. Like you picture a movie scene where yeah. there's just destruction and people crying yeah. and screaming and officers like trying to stop it. Like I can't even imagine being there. Because where do you go? Like you you come out of the building. Where do you go for cover? It would be a building typically, but that away. is not. Yeah. yeah, that's not right. Yeah, safe. Like, at least away. He can't sneak up on you, so that's, that's good. But, but he has I guns. Mean, he does. Yeah, he does. Horrifying. I think that's why they were saying evacuate the town because they didn't know exactly all the places that he was going to go. They could just very clearly see like he was on the war path. He was a man with a plan and they weren't exactly privy to what that plan was. Yikes. So Marvin ends up plowing through the building. This one is completely destroyed. Like everything in the town is devastating. 
devastated, but some buildings look like he really went in on them a bit more. So I almost kind of feel like the aggression that he exhibited was based on how much he thought that entity or person wronged him. Yep, I can see that. Town hall would be a big one. Yep. So the nine, I said the reverse 911 call had gone out. So obviously the local authorities are well aware of the situation at hand and they have been calling for reinforcements from neighboring towns. They've been trying to get a SWAT team in there. What they're really trying to do is they're trying to find anybody in the Granby area that has a vehicle large enough that they could put in the path of the dozer to try to stop it. That's what I was going to say. How on earth, like, th- what do you bring in another tank? Yeah. You know, and even then, how do you, how do you stop him? That's insane. Every effort to stop the dozer has been futile. Nothing seems to phase it whatsoever. It doesn't dent it. It doesn't discolor it. It just keeps going. There's even in the video, again, I am going to try so hard to find a clip of the video because it is just purely fascinating. Mm. In the video, there is a police escort with the dozer. Like there are cruisers in front of it. There are cruisers behind it. There are cops running along the side of the dozer trying to find some way in, trying to find some way to stop him, like looking for any opportunity. And it doesn't go very fast. So that's why they're able to run alongside of it. Also, that's brave. To, yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to be that close. I know it can't turn on a dime and go that fast, but I don't know. You don't know what he has. What if he has bombs that he right? can drop or grenades or something? I don't know. Law enforcement tried shooting it with various caliber weapons. Uh, there was something in the documentary where somebody from another town came in and he was all excited to give the town marksman this, I think, 50 caliber weapon. I don't know. It was something that I, I don't know much about guns. I'll be the first to say. Uh, but it was something that this guy was very excited about. And he shot at the dozer and it, like nothing is penetrating this armor. Jeez. And I'm not surprised because it's steel plates with concrete in between them. It's yeah, armored. That's, that's crazy. Next up in the rampage, the Sky High News building where Patrick Brower was having a normal Friday morning. He said that all of a sudden a sheriff's deputy ran into the station and told him he was on the list and needed to get out of there immediately. Oof. Oh Patrick had no idea what this was referring to. I guess somehow he didn't get the reverse 911 call. He might have worked in town, but might not have been a resident, so maybe mm. he didn't get it. Um, he thought it was a joke. He was well, like, who, yeah. <laughs> who comes in yelling like, you're on the list, get out. He thought it was a joke, and he said it took a little bit to convince him, but he's glad that he was convinced because he started to feel the earth shake. And he and several crew crew members escaped out the back as Marvin tore through the front of the news building with the dozer. Oh my gosh. Patrick From, gave him a free ad. He did. Come on, man. <laughs> he tried. Come on, man. But he edited him. He edited it. I know. Edited. Edited. Edited it. Edited. 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 <laughs> From watching the footage, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say this building felt like overkill to me. He just kept ramming it. I don't know oh if God. he hated Patrick the most or if he was just really in the zone or that building was not structurally sound, but this one collapsed. Some of the others were still standing in some capacity. This was not. Jeez. Several of the clips of the footage that I saw depicted the top of the dozer just covered in debris from all of the buildings that it's demolished. So you could see like cinder blocks and wood beams on top of this thing as it's just rolling through the town of Granby. The sound was so present. There was so much screeching from the treads and just metal on metal because he was bumping it. He didn't care what he hit. He hit any cars or anything that was in his path. And the the cops are just really powerless to stop this. Um, The one who ran into the station actually filmed the whole thing on his camcorder (gasps) because he was like, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to document it. And I'm actually very grateful that he did that. (laughs) I think the world is at this point. Wow. 
we already talked a little bit um, about the tread marks that the vehicle left, but just as a reminder, like you do have to see these things. They were wild. This 85 ton vehicle left quite the impression on the earth. Yeah. Like there were just tread marks all over town. Crazy. Oh it's devastating. The next target on Marvin's list is the Thompson residence. So there's a small house in the town where the matriarch of the Thompson family lived in. 30 minutes prior to the dozer hitting her home, she was actually fast asleep on the couch. She was taking an afternoon nap. Mm. One of her sons called her and told her to just get out of town. Uh-huh. She too thought he was joking, but after a little bit of back and forth, probably him being like, mom, this isn't a joke. This isn't yeah. a drill. Like, get the fuck out. Yeah. She decides, okay, he's not joking. And she leaves the property. This is another that he really did a number on. Like, this place was not inhabitable when he wow. was done with it. It's a tiny house, right? Tiny house versus don't, not like a tiny house like you think of today, <laughs> but it's a small home. And small home versus armored tank bulldozer. No. Just, it's not a very fair match. God. And can you remind me what the Thompsons did to him? The Thompsons were basically the family that ran the town. So Dick Thompson okay. was the mayor. Oh, At this right. point, okay. Dick had passed away. This is Dick's widow that okay. he is doing this to. Thank you. Yep. Not done with the Thompsons, just based on their house, Marvin moved to their nearby construction yard and shop. He was systematically destroying all of their businesses, all of their properties, because if they could take an opportunity away from him, why couldn't he do the same to them? God. Marvin's logic, 101. Yep. That's what God wanted. That's what right. God it has wanted. nothing to do with like a vindictive madman. Nope. This is God's will. This is God's will. It will be done. Okay. In addition to demolishing the building, he tipped over several tractor trailers, which I had never seen this many tractor trailers on their side. It's just like a, it looks like a wasteland. And he also took a truck and basically like folded the truck in half and pushed it up against the building. Like the, you guys, if if you haven't seen this, I, we're going to post a lot of it and I really highly recommend you check it out because it is, it is wild. There is no way you would imagine what you're going to see. Um, There was one other thing. The residents of the town at this point in time are getting kind of brave. So they look on in horror, but also awe. Watching the footage, it's very, I'd say, a safe-ish distance Mm. away from the dozer, like far enough that they could run, but it is equipped with guns. So if they were fired on, like, I don't think it would help them. But everybody in the town, like, they've just amassed a crowd of people who are watching him carry out what he's doing. They're all absolutely mesmerized by what they see because they probably can't believe what's happening in front of them. Stranger than fiction. Eventually, Marvin was satisfied with the damage that he had caused on the Thompson's properties, so he set out for his next and possibly most dangerous target, Independent Gas Company, which had several giant propane tanks outside, and he began firing at them. Law enforcement starts panicking because they're thinking, we have to evacuate at least 1,000 feet around the tanks, in the blast radius would have been a bunch of businesses, a trailer park, and a senior center. Oh my gosh. So Marvin is firing incendiary rounds at the tanks because he really wants these suckers to blow. Uh Uh-huh. Fortunately, not a single one of them hit the tanks. Wow. It wasn't just that he was a very bad aim. There was part of the dozer in the back called the ripper that was blocking his shots. I guess with the way the armor was on it, the ripper couldn't lift as much as it normally would. So it was kind of caught up against Mm -hmm. the armor. And when he fired the shots, they they hit that. So the vehicle itself was kind of shrouded in clouds of smoke. So you could see that the incendiary rounds were just kind of blowing off and not going anywhere. I can't even fathom what it would be like to watch this happening. 
that had to be the most horrifying moment in this because again looking at the footage they aren't like gas tanks that you and i would see outside of our house they're the ones that are transported on the large trucks like they are massive propane tanks and there were eight or nine of them in a row it it would have been catastrophic if you had hit these he did manage to knock out power at the gas station though he did hit the transformer but you know what i'll take it wasn't the tanks yep by now the town had managed to find two large scrapers which just look like giant construction vehicles i had never heard this term before i could tell you guys haven't either because we're not (laughs) construction savvy so i looked this one up it it is a machine that basically looks like two tractors connected to each other and if you've ever driven by like large road work on the highway it they use the machine a lot for that it's used to move earth small distances oh oh okay so it's it's very big it's almost like two tractors connected to each other yep (laughs) they met marvin on his way to the next destination and they put the scrapers in front of and behind his path but the dozer just pushed the machine aside with ease so it was much larger but it was not heavier than the dozer and it just the way that i could move a soda can on the table just pushed it aside and moved right on by insane I feel like that might happen even just regular bulldozer versus other construction machine. I would think Maybe. so because of like the the purpose of this machine yeah. versus others. Sure. Like this is without being souped up is built for destruction. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Still, that would be a sight to see. Yes. A small win for the town did occur though. The dozer seemed like it started to leak antifreeze and large white clouds could be seen coming from the vehicle. The engine was starting to overheat. So there's hope on the horizon. Mm, Okay. Not going to stop Marvin, though, but it does make it a little bit hard for him to see where he's going. Not that it matters. Not that it matters. He hit copycat printing on the way to the gambles because his vision was going. I believe this was an accident. This wasn't Mm. on his list. These people had not wronged him. I think as he was just trying to course correct, he just scraped off the front of the business. (laughs) Whoops. Whoopsies. Marvin plowed into the front of gambles, which was basically like a general store in town. And uh, the dozer started to lose power as he was going through the front. But he did manage to get the front of the store totally ripped off. And for some reason, he decided he was going to move down the side of the building and try to remove the side as well. The county, again, thinking, got to find a way to stop him. They put one of those big scraper vehicles behind him to at least try to control where he went next. so He couldn't back out through it. It doesn't matter, though, because there was one small fact about Gambles that somehow Marvin was not aware of. Gambles had a basement. Oh. None of the other buildings he's attacked so far had a basement. Oh, and that's a very heavy, heavy Uh vehicle. Yep. So as Marvin is plowing down the right side of this building, his machine, the tread on the right Uh side, goes into the basement. The linoleum couldn't hold it? No, no, it could not. So now Marvin is stuck in gambles, and the machine powers down, and for the first time in hours, it is totally silent in town. (gasps) That must have been so eerie. Because you don't know what's going to happen. I'm still saying, like, you don't know what he has in it beyond that, like bombs or whatever. Which is exactly what law enforcement was thinking. They were getting ready for what they thought was going to be a big gunfight, right? Mm. Like, based on everything they had seen, they didn't think Marvin was going to go down without a fight. But instead, what they heard was a single gunshot. Oh. SWAT teams arrived on the scene, and they just started blasting the dozer with explosives, trying to blast their way in. 
They tried on two separate occasions, and the only thing that happened was they discolored the armor, but the dozer was really no worse for wear, at least visually. They assumed that if Marvin wasn't already dead, he had to be dead after the the blast that they had set off. Um, So they just said, you know what? Let's try to gain entry into this cabin. So they brought in people, I think, with torches to be able to cut through. Crews actually had to work overnight to cut through the armor. I want to say I read it took like 12 or 13 hours to get into the dozer's cabin. So when you said he got into the dozer and lowered it down. So this was like a separate piece that once he got it on it, it like locked him in. He's a capsule. Yep. So it would have had to been lifted back up. Yes. So they were cutting through. They were cutting Mm -hmm. through instead of going up. Because I I don't know what kind of lift you would have needed to to lift that up but i think marvin constructed the one so i i feel like you couldn't have just brought it to any old shop it would have been too big to do that so i think they figured the path of least resistance again like marvin was through it was was probably 80 of the 85 tons yeah so um by mid-morning on the fifth they were finally able to get through and they found marvin's body he had died from a single self-inflicted gunshot so Mm. that was the sound that the officers heard when everything got quiet the dozer was ultimately disassembled and then scrapped so no one person could get it and make a shrine to Marvin Hemeyer. Good. Which, in a way, is a little bit sad because some people in the town thought, you know, it could have been good to keep it because from, like, a tourism or attraction standpoint, people might come to see it. They said it did drive a lot of, like, tourists into the town to see things. So they thought, make lemons out of lemonade yeah. kind of thing. But, right. You know. You may want to make um, lemonade out of lemons. If you can make... Lemonade. Did I say it the other way? <laughs> yeah. If you, if you can make lemons out of lemonade, then you can probably make a lot of money. I'm very talented. I can <laughs> reverse engineer the lemons. <laughs> Ergo, you can make lemons out of lemonade. I'm listening. Thank you. I was testing you. Yeah. Really, I'm not. I know. Yeah. It was God's will. <laughs> God wants me to make lemons out of lemonade. Yeah. He does. So when all was said and done, Marvin caused seven million dollars worth of damage to the town of granby he destroyed numerous businesses i think it was 13 was the final count because a few he kind of just like bumped in his path um but miraculously the only life lost was his own wow you gotta hand it to him a little because i i actually don't think he was out i mean he he had the guns and everything but it seems like that was to just to keep people away from him it seems like he really just wanted to fuck shit up. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if you feel that way once I finish oh, okay. this little piece here. Because I'm, okay. I'm curious. At the end, I want to mm. see what both of you think after the way that I've presented it. Yeah. Because I'll share a little bit more on what I think. But I think, I think it's pretty clear. But So the public reaction to what happened here, surprisingly, it was mixed. Most mm. people were appalled sure. at what they had seen. But others thought that Marvin was a true American hero. They looked at him and they thought this is the perfect example of the little guy fighting back against the man. Okay, that's a very dangerous thinking to spread Mm. amongst the citizens. They Mm. saw Marvin as a man who was wronged, tried to play by the rules, got nowhere, so he took the law into his own hands. Maybe if you didn't know all the details that we have been presented I could see if you just knew the highlights yep. and just saw that the guy who was in with the town got the stuff. You know, I, I get that, but uh, I don't know. I, that's that's like vigilante. Yeah. That's not. No. It's not good. It never ends well. I I did find a couple of websites that were shrines to Marvin essentially. Um, 
one of them was Russian. I figured I should probably stop bouncing off yep. of a Russian IP address mm-hmm. right now, so I stopped <laughs> reading that one. Um, but I, I read another, and it was just what a great American patriot Marvin Hemeyer was mm. for taking a stand for something he believes in. And a lot of people, similar to what you just said, they said, look at the attack he carried out. It was so calculated. Mm. There was no loss of life in the town other than his own. Like, what a great man. He carried out his mission, and he wrong- he you know he punished those that wronged him, but he didn't wrong punish anybody mm. else that was I, their take i didn't quite say that but no, <laughs> no 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 i i hear i i think there are other ways to um protest yes. that don't involve a tank i mentioned at the start of the episode that marvin left tapes to tell his side oh, of the story that's right well, Marvin knew that people were going to have opinions on what he did. Surprise, surprise. And he knew that he wasn't going to be around to tell his side of the story. So that is essentially what he did. He recorded a series of tapes in April and May. And at the end of it, there was two and a half hours of Marvin doing just that, telling his story to people. Which we will now play for you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Three hours later. <laughs> After he finished recording the tapes, he mailed them to his brother in South Dakota. His brother immediately turned the tapes over to the FBI, who then gave them to the local authorities. The tapes have been released for the public to hear. They released them pretty quickly. Like, it was in, I think, August of 2004 they released them. I listened to all two and a half hours of them. I don't know why I felt the need to listen to all two and a half hours of them, but I did. And it was kind of like a verbal manifesto, for Uh, lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. It really shed a lot of light on Marvin's perspective on things. He said he felt like he was a reasonable man who had been pushed to do unreasonable things because he simply had no other choice. I can think of a lot of other choices. Yeah, yeah, I can too. Like, I don't know, selling your business to Cody for the original (laughs) price that you offered and just riding off into the sunset. He just... He really believed he was chosen by God to carry out this mission, to hurt all of the people who treated him unfairly. That was his belief at his core. Everybody who knew Marvin said they had no idea that he was planning this or, you know, planning anything at all. Three weeks before he went on his rampage, he went to the dentist to get fitted for a crown, and he ran into his ex-girlfriend, Trisha. She said they had a lovely time catching up, and it was so good to see him and hug him again. And he made a follow-up appointment to come in and get fitted for the crown on the morning of June 4th. Obviously, he never had any intention to keep that appointment. So I kind of just wanted to demonstrate that even if you knew him, Hmm. you might kind of know something is up. But he did a really good job playing it close to the chest here. Hmm. Matt, the youngest member of the Thursday crew that he went riding with, he said he went snowmobiling with Marvin earlier in the year, and the two actually had plans to go snowmobiling in late June. I know that hindsight is twenty twenty, but I feel like there were a lot of less violent ways that this could have planned out. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that Marvin had opportunities to cash out of the business and leave town, right? We mm-hmm. talked about it. He could have sold to Cody. He could have just sold it to Travis and left. He could have not bought the bulldozer, but there were just things like decision points where Marvin chose violence instead of just choosing to leave. I don't think, again, that the town was acting against Marvin as a personal attack and as a personal attack and listening to his tapes did not change that for me. Mm. If anything, the tapes pushed me to be in favor of the town. Mm. And I am sure I'm going to upset or offend somebody by saying this, but let's be real, that never stops me from saying what I want (laughs) to say. So why would this be different? 
they felt like the ramblings of a delusional and paranoid man. I mean, it sounds like I'm just so fascinated. I wonder if what happened because it seems like he was pretty normal. Yeah. And successful. And then it just seems like a a switch. And this is, you know, in the hot tub, right? Is when it was. And I don't know. How old was he? Marvin was 52 at the time of his death. I was just wondering, because I know guys, like, schizophrenia can set in. I'm just wondering if he had, like, some sort of insane mental break. I I think that's normally around, like, 27. I don't know why that's the age that... I did wonder if he had some sort of mental health condition that was driving this. I saw no no mention of anything anywhere of it, but I... I almost wonder if he was suffering from something because yeah. like it, it just feels like some of the things that he said, you would have to make leaps beyond what a rational right. human being would to make some of the connections. Right. Because I mean, like Laura just said, he was a successful businessman and I get, I get things start piling up yep. and you mm-hmm. get that mentality and that perspective to say it's me against the world and that colors everything that happens to you. But there's a difference between someone feeling jaded about every situation and someone saying, God spoke to them and I need to destroy my town. Like there's, I feel like there is some sort of like abnormal psychology Mm -hmm. element to it to to make that leap and and fully accept it and to just run with it, you know. What really did it for me in the tapes was that in one breath he was saying that the town wanted to run Cody out because he had cost the town all kinds of money. I guess he had previously filed for bankruptcy. Marvin said something about how like Cody had tried to commit suicide as like a grab for attention. Again, I didn't find anything to substantiate yeah. that, but he basically was trying to paint Cody to be like uh, like a meek leech of society kind of person, mm. which is not what it's not consistent with anything else I saw about Cody. Yeah. But he says this, and then we know he turns around and he says the town is conspiring with Cody to, to yeah. be able to put this plant up. So within the two and a half hours of him telling his story, he's contradicting himself in here. And again, right, I know he's kind of rambling in the tapes. It, it's just a tape, it's not a video. He doesn't seem to have a script, he's just kind of mm. saying all of this off of the cuff. Um, but it, it just like even the inconsistencies, I was like, where, how did you make these connections? Man? Yeah. So was the town inconsistent with what laws they enforced and when? Yeah. Absolutely. But again, to me, it's less about Marvin and more about being in favor of something that is going to bring money into the town, a.k.a. the concrete plan. Mm-hmm. And the right. reality is in a, in a small town or even larger towns, there are often families or people that are in cahoots that you know that get the deals and get sold things and you know it happens so i i do believe that probably did all happen and it probably was unfair but that's not a normal reaction to it yep and i'm I'm not trying to blame god or anything like this for this i think very clearly like marvin had some issues that he was working through Maybe he spent too much time in the hot tub alone. Uh, I learned the hard way you don't want to drink alcohol and stay in a hot tub for an extended period of time. Maybe Marvin was doing that. Maybe he was dehydrated and he hallucinated. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't know. But for me, um, I personally don't think that God, who supposedly loves all of his creatures, I don't think that God would give you an edict to do something violent like this. I feel like God would say, forgive those who mm. hurt you not go attack them and destroy their livelihood in a kill dozer in like, a kill dozer the old testament god was sort of spiteful yeah do you think that would happen yeah yeah the, the old testament ot god yeah the, o, the <laughs> ot god approaching the OT marvin god was quite spiteful so what do you guys think after hearing everything do you think that 
Marvin really was treated unfairly and it's more just his reaction that kind of sucked? Or do you feel like it was kind of just, you know, the card you were dealt that he had? I mean, I think I think Marina nailed it earlier that I think he was treated unfairly. And then there came a point where he didn't see the way out and he went too far. I think it was unfair. And then maybe it was unfair in the other way. And then he could have just could have just gotten out and and had it all be a good ending. But um, I think he took it too far, to say the least. Yeah, I I really think that he probably had some sort of psychotic break, some sort of late onset schizophrenia or something yep. like that to be I mean legitimately hearing voices from yeah. someone telling you to do this and for you to accept that yep. to take it to that extreme and in addition be fully suicidal yes. I mean to be on a, a holy suicide mission and just accept that and weird too that he's making dentist appointments like yeah there's you're not right there yeah. there were some signs i think that are typical maybe harbingers of, of suicide or people who are going to attempt suicide right he gave away all of his belongings I was thinking he that. sold things yep. mm-hmm. he gave the money to his family he didn't keep anything he basically That's just true. kept what he needed to live he left his girlfriend he left yep. his girlfriend so he wouldn't mm-hmm. have a support system anymore yep. to stop him so i i truly don't know what drives a man to do this other than kind of just being wronged and then being pushed past the point of reason and you're committed you're down that path it is amazing though that it it wasn't like he had this break and like you know two days later he did this it was over a year right it was over a year and a half he said he knew that this is what he was gonna do his ultimate goal was actually to carry out the attack in the spring of 2003 but he was slow in his Mm. construction which he that's when he thought like well god wanted me to go snowmobiling for the winter (laughs) so he allowed me to be slow so i could have one last reward before i am no longer so hearing that it's that long, I don't know if someone who is having like a psychotic episode would have the commitment and follow through. That's what I mean. That, yeah. That far out into yeah. the future. So maybe he had one psychotic break and then just accepted it. And then he just used the rose colored glasses yeah. to yeah. say, oh, well, this happened. It's That's meant possible. to be. This happened. It's meant yeah. to be. So like maybe it was like an isolated psychotic break. Right. That he just used his shitty logic to carry through to fruition yeah how bizarre very bizarre how and bizarre how bizarre <laughs> how interesting i'll spare you gremlins um, <laughs> but we would actually love to hear what you all think about this case because it definitely got the three of us to yeah. scratch our heads and think about some things so if you are loving Grim, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For those of you who listen on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a written review in addition to the rating. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for case photos, especially for this case, <laughs> and to stay current on the latest episodes. If you want to send us case suggestions or just say hello, send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. As always, we hope you listen, learn, and stay alive. Until next time, bye.